we're back and it feels so good. So to the Birth Library, I'm Georgie and firstly, I just really want to thank everyone for their heartfelt and genuine support for both Tyson and I. Um, When I shared the news of losing our baby, it was a really, really powerful thing to share and something that in the past I wouldn't have shared on social media. But God, I'm so glad I did. It was really, really helpful for me in the process. This session that I'm sharing with you today is a story of a vaginal breech birth Um, that a woman named Cara had and she's had two births so the first birth she had with her daughter was a breech vaginal birth and that happened at Lismore Hospital and she talks a lot about the um, difficulties in the process of finding the right support and finding medical professionals that are on board with a, a breech vaginal birth and also the difficulties in you know personally deciding on which route to go down and then she shares her healing second birth which happened at the the Byron Hospital um, in the new birth center so I just want to thank Kara so much for sharing her story and for being so patient because it was recorded some time ago a lot has happened in between I really hope you enjoy much for joining me Cara. My pleasure. I thought we'd start off by chatting a little bit just about uh, your your gorgeous little family and a little bit about yourself outside your role as a mama. Okay um, my name's Cara and uh, I work at um, the local Steiner school in the kindergarten as an assistant and a teacher and I have a um, beautiful husband and two beautiful children. Ember is two and a half, and my son, Otis, turns one tomorrow. Ah, happy birthday, Otis. Yes. <laughs> the, the first year is such a big one, isn't it? Yeah, so much it to is. celebrate. Yeah. I'm feeling very emotional this time. <laughs> now he's yeah. not a baby anymore. Yeah, and it's so wonderful to talk to someone who has had a vaginal breech birth. It feels like there is such a huge range of differing opinions out mm. there about what should be done when a baby is in breech position and yeah so well, it's a lot yeah so it'll be great to hear how you navigated that I know for myself my son was breech but he oh, turned yeah. yeah he was breech but he turned by himself and even in that sort of brief moment that he was breech maybe it was sort of six weeks that he was identified as breech um I was we were living in Hobart and the midwife sort of said well if you want to have a vaginal birth, you know, there's one ob that will do it and you sort of have to hunt him down and hire him yeah. privately. <laughs> it can be very challenging to to find, a, yeah, to have a breech vaginal birth if that's what you want. It's, it's yes, there's lots of 
differing opinions and information out there. Yeah, it seems so. So we'll jump straight into your pregnancy with Ember. Um, we could start things off by just a little bit about her conception. Was that an easy journey for you, yourself and your husband? Uh, it wasn't that easy. Um, we tried for about a year and a half before I fell pregnant with her. And um, we had just started down um, seeking a, f- a fertility specialist. Mm-hmm. Um, I have PCOS, which makes it harder for me to fall pregnant. And mm-hmm. um, so it just means I have very regular periods. So in a, one year, most women would have 12 periods. I had five in the year that I was trying. Um, and then we just seen a fertility specialist. And um, I was had to get some tests to do to go with that, and one of the tests was a fallopian tube test where they, I think, have a look. I'm not quite sure. I never got the test because the day or so before I went to get the test, um, my husband said, "Oh, you should just take a, a pregnancy <laughs> test because if you are pregnant and they do this test, it's not good." Yeah. Um, and I, yeah, I'd, we've been trying this so long. I, I was didn't really expect it and I did a test and I was so wonderful wonderful news when we found that I was pregnant with her yeah and so was your body giving you any signs that you were pregnant was that a complete shock no we found that quite early on before I had any symptoms because only because of this test that I was going for so yes I didn't have any sense that I was it was just a wonderful surprise. And once your uh, the ball started rolling on your pregnancy, how did you feel throughout the first trimester? I was a little bit sick. Um, I vomited a bit, and, but it, I was very lucky in that when I got to 12 weeks to the day, pretty much I started feeling better. Um, so it was just a pretty normal, easy pregnancy for most of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I felt really great in the second trimester and into the third I was still feeling quite great and um, I didn't show um, very I didn't present very large and um, when I was about 32 weeks they started to notice that she was looking or I didn't know it was a girl then they started to notice the baby was looking a bit small you know how they do that measure with a tape measure over your belly over your bum yeah. I was measuring a bit small and so 32 weeks I was more. By 34 weeks when I went in, I hadn't grown at all. So they, um, I was just giving birth at Mullumbimby Hospital, which is a small hospital in the Northern Rivers, and um, they only deliver uncomplicated births. So when they, I did my 34-week check, the midwife said, oh, oh, you haven't grown at all since 28 weeks. So she rushed me up to Tweed Hospital, which is a bigger hospital nearby, um, that day, I had to get a whole range of tests and they were worried that they have to deliver at 34 weeks, which was a bit scary. But in all these tests, it ended up she was completely healthy. They thought she might have been underweight, but she wasn't. It's just, I think that measuring doesn't always work for some women and, de- and depends on how you grow. So we found out she was breached then at 34 weeks and there's still a bit of time for her to turn at that mm. point. So we were still hopeful that she might turn around by herself and we were doing all the all the things that they say on Google that you can do, like shining the torch down low on your belly. And um, my husband was talking really down low, like putting his mouth up to my belly down low and talking to try and encourage the baby to move. And 
started getting some acupuncture and um, they do a thing with moxa sticks, which they they burn these sticks at certain pressure points around on your body to try and turn the baby and I was taking homeopathics and doing all these um, positions where, where I propped an ironing board up on the couch and you lie upside down on the ironing board for 20 minutes a day, morning and night and do all these yoga poses where you head down and you, and you bottom up and <laughs> all these things to try and get the baby to, t- to turn. But at the same time saying, like, this is your journey. If you don't want to turn, we'll work, we'll, we'll work out what to do around it and just trying to be okay with the, with the fact that she may, the baby may not turn as well. Yeah. It was a bit of an up and down time of the pregnancy because we knew if she didn't, if the baby didn't turn, we wouldn't be able to deliver at Mullumbimby Hospital. We'd have to change hospitals and we'd had the same midwife all the way through. So we were really hoping that we could have delivered her there. We kept going for checks and she just wasn't moving at all. And so at 37 weeks, Mullumbimby Hospital said, you're going to have to change to either Tweed or Lismore. And we went up to Liz- up to Tweed and um, they tried an ECB where they manually try and turn the baby. They put talcum powder on my belly and um, they gave me a shot to loosen my uterus and they just physically sort of try and manipulate the baby to move around and it wasn't successful. <laughs> it was, and it, I think, I'm really glad we tried it because we always, just to have the knowledge that it wasn't, didn't work, but it, it was... For me, I found it a bit um, traumatic in that I really worried that it would hurt the baby and that it was, it was quite rough, the process. You know, really shoving and they had two doctors grabbing and pushing at the baby and and um, it didn't feel that great for me. Yeah, just rough and um, and wasn't didn't work anyway. I know it can be great for some women and that it can work and that would have been an amazing outcome, but it didn't for us. She was very cozy, and yeah. they still say some babies can turn themselves like right up to the last minute, but she just didn't move much at all. The whole time she was there, she, I could feel her kicking, but she didn't roll that much. She was just really happy in the position she was in. Yeah. And so we started talking to the three doctors about birthing. They basically said there's one doctor who works at the hospital who knows how to deliver breach. And from my understanding from the research that I did around that time, um, there was a report that went out quite a few years ago about breach vaginal birds, and the report said that it was dangerous to deliver vaginally. And because of that report, for 10 years or something, no doctors in Australia delivered breech babies mm-hmm. vaginally. And then after about 10 years, another report came out that disproved the first report. And so... Some doctors began began to deliver breech babies again, but because it'd been ten years or so where no one had delivered vaginally breech birds, the doctors just didn't have the skills, which is why I think that I think that's why it can still be dangerous now because they just don't have the skills. So when we were talking to the doctors in Tweed, they were saying there's one doctor who knows how to deliver. And that doctor would have to be on working in the hospital when you went into labour and if he wasn't then you'd have to deliver by cesarean and um, if you go into labor naturally 
and that doctor's mm-hmm. not on and we have to do a C-sex and it can be dangerous for your baby. So it just felt like an unsafe option up there. Yeah. go into right. labour naturally and then hope the doctor was on and if he wasn't with a cesarean and they, they told us it was risky. So we just didn't feel very good about it. And they basically said, look, we do, we do cesareans at 38 weeks for breech birth and you can have the cesarean on this Wednesday or this Friday morning because that's when we do them. So choose your date basically. Um mm-hmm. And we we had wanted a natural birth, and um, just from what we'd researched and what we felt would be good for the baby, we wanted to try it. Um, so we decided to talk to the Lismore Hospital and see if they had any other information. And obviously, if they had said a similar thing, we would have gone for cesarean. Cause we weren't against having a cesarean if that's what we had to do. We wanted a safe delivery of our baby. And I know lots of women end up having cesareans, and it's it's we're very lucky that we live in a society where you can if 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 your baby's breech or for any other reason we're we're so lucky that we can deliver babies safely. But, Absolutely, um, yeah. We just wanted to see if that would if they would have any other information, and it was a completely different experience going to Lismore in that they are one of the best breech clinics in Australia. Um, luckily, yeah. <laughs> they um, have a breach clinic there. So they have quite a few doctors who can deliver breach babies and they always have one on, on so that if you have a breach baby and you're delivering, you will you know that there's going to be a doctor on that can deliver. Always someone there. It's not like Tweed where the stars have to align and you need That's these right. specific circumstances. That's and, great. And they had, um, so if you have the right sort of presentation for breach, um, which we did, which was called a Frank breach, so um, mm-hmm. the baby's feet were up near the baby's head and the bottom was down. That's the Frank breach, which is the best sort of breach for delivering vaginally because if there are feet down low, then it's way too dangerous and I just don't even consider it. Okay. Um yeah, so they said she, the baby was in a perfect position to do a vaginal breach, um, trial labour, they called it. So there was, the cesarean was always on the cards, on the table. If anything got dangerous, it would be straight to the cesarean. But we were able to go into labour on my own time when it happened, um, which was, we felt was really important for us. We wanted that chance to, um, yeah, to to wait until the baby was ready to come. And also, just from what research we'd read, I, I really wanted to have some experience of labour. And I think, yeah, we, we felt really good with going with Lismore, so we swapped over to Lismore Hospital and had our last few weeks visiting there, which was was a good choice in the end, I think. Yeah, it sounds like they're very well equipped for your mm. the situation you were in. And did you feel supported in those last few weeks? It was different in that in Mullumbindu we had a midwife load care. So we had the one midwife for every appointment, yeah, right up to the birth and, and after the birth as well. Whereas in Lismore we just turned up and whoever was on saw you. So I saw a lot of different right. midwives and doctors. We I'd I'd signed up for midwife led birth um, for Ember, but because she was breached, I'd had to see a doctor in, as, as well, which was fine, which was great. Um, so, But that was, they were all lovely. Um, 
there was what there was yeah it was it was a really great team there. We felt really supported. They tried to answer all our questions about breech birth and what the options were and I definitely think there was more fear involved because it wasn't a, like a normal birth. Um yeah. and because I'd had to make that choice whether to do it vaginally or by cesarean and I think that having to make that choice I just added a bit more fear in into how things would go. Yeah. Because it was a bit more, I don't know, a little bit more risky, I guess. Yeah, um, it was a decision that was left in your hands, you ultimately. Yes, I yeah. guess that was it. Um, yeah. And also, with being a new mum, not having babies before, it's, <laughs> you, you go in having no idea what's, what's mm. going to happen, what it's going to be like. Yeah. Um, yeah, so we, my mum had said, all the women in our family go um, early. They go into labour early. You won't get to your due date. So from 38 <laughs> weeks, they started waiting, thinking, oh, any minute now. <laughs> got to 40 weeks, no baby. <laughs> got to 41 weeks, no baby. <laughs> um, almost, I got to, as I got to about 41 and a half weeks, the, the team at the hospital said, we'll have to think about inducing. And because the baby was breached, they don't like to go too far over because if the baby gets too big, it can be harder to deliver um, because the head is the biggest part of the body. Um, in normal births, the head pushes down through the uterus and out the vaginal passage and makes way for the body, whereas if the body goes first and, um, and the head's too big still, you can, the baby can get quite stuck. Right. So they didn't want to let me go too far over, but because she had been measuring small, they thought it was okay to go to about 42 weeks, which is good. Um, so I got booked in for an induction, and um, I remember the night before the induction, I was about I was 41 weeks, and I was 10 days over at that point. And I was due to go in the next morning, and I... I just remember feeling so overwhelmed with emotion and and um, I just remember going outside in the garden and just sobbing <laughs> and just letting out all this emotion of having of letting go of my whole birth plans that I like, I mean they had to go out the window like not delivering in Mullum and having and having a breech birth and and having to get induced and and I just. Yeah, I just remember sobbing and sobbing. And now I think back, obviously I was about to go into labour, but I just didn't. <laughs> My right, mind was all over the place. Yeah, it the cracks you right open, doesn't and it? I just but... didn't, at the time, I didn't realise. Um, but I yeah. went to bed and we had our bags packed to go at 7am the next morning. And um, I woke up at 1.30 and my waters had broken. Um, so... I just remember feeling so relieved that I was actually yeah. going into labour by myself and um, called up the hospital in great excitement. And they said, well, what is it only just broken? You can, you don't have to rush in. Yeah. Um, because she was, the baby was breached, they did want me to come in earlier than, I mean, than normal. Um, some breached births can go faster, apparently. Uh, and because they wanted to be there for the birth, um, they wanted me to come in at for my normal appointment time at 7 whereas if it had been a normal birthday say wait at home as long as you can 
Yeah. Um, so got in the car, trundled down to the hospital, feeling really excited. I was going to have my baby. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, by the time I went down to the hospital, I was so excited at one thirty that I was going into labour. And they said, try and go back to sleep. But I was too excited. I couldn't. So I lay there trying to relax and, and feel the contractions. And um, I stayed... I should have gone back to sleep now I reflect on it, but <laughs> I didn't. And I went down to the hospital at 7 a.m. Um, labor was still quite manageable at this point. And um, I met my midwife team and the doctor came in and said hello. And I got my got into the room and um, there was a student on. I remember this. There was a student on and it was her very first day of prac. And she was really nervous. And... Um, at first, I was we were having great chats because I was still feeling pretty fine. As the pregnancy, as the labour progressed, it, um, uh, I remembered it was getting more harder and harder to talk, and and because she was on her very first day, she was struggling a lot with some of the checks where they check how the baby's going, the heart rate. They do they did a few more checks than they might normally because the baby was breached, and I just remember having to lie on my back while she checked the baby's heart heart rate and she had to keep uh, getting the supervisor to come over and have a look and <laughs> it was getting harder and harder to keep waiting um but um yeah it was it was I was probably went into active labor around eight o'clock in the morning I'd say or eight or nine like early yeah not long after I got to the hospital it became more intense and I'd had water births I'd really wanted a water birth but um being breached, I couldn't do that, but they said I could have some of the labour in the bath if I wanted. So that was up there as my number one pain management technique. I really wanted to labour in the bath, and I I thought that was the one I'd save to the very last. I had a list of all these things I'd try, and the bath was the last one. So I tried to shower for a while, and that was fantastic. I loved the shower. <laughs> um and then by the time I got into the bath in the afternoon, after it, when I was getting quite intense, um, I hated it. <laughs> I really hated the bath. I felt really nauseous and I didn't feel very grounded in the bath. It was I kind of felt like I was floating away. I couldn't. I kept um, not being able to really hold myself down in the water um, when I was having really strong contractions, and I was just vomiting nonstop over the side and. They'd spent ages pumping up this bath in the room for me, and I was only in there about five or ten minutes before I said, no, I hate it, getting out. <laughs> but it's so nice to hear that perspective because, it, yeah. you know, it is one of the main sort of natural um, pain relief techniques. But I know. I had it up on the pedestal that it was going to be the best thing, and I really yeah. didn't like it. The shower for me was the best thing, and... I think at the time I got out because I was worried about water restrictions, which is a silly thing to think about when you're in labour. But it's I funny where your mind goes. I remember it? being in there and thinking, I've been here a long time, I'd better get out. Whereas <laughs> now if I could go back, I would have stayed in the shower much longer. Yeah. So at about 7 o'clock at night, so I'd been in labour 12, I how many hours is that? A lot, A long time. And 7 o'clock at night, they checked me, and I was 4 centimetres. So I hadn't progressed that far. And I just remember feeling really defeated and, and 
the contractions are really strong, really close together, mm-hmm. but I just wasn't dilating. And um, they left again, but I think I lost a lot of heart at that check and I I struggled mm-hmm. in the next few hours. Um, I was doing really well up until then and then when they said I was only four, four centimetres, I... Um, I started to really struggle and the contractions started to take over a bit and I remember like screaming in pain and feeling like I was splitting in two. Yes, I think a bit of fear crept in then that it wasn't working or that I couldn't do it, that I couldn't do it. And they came back at 8.30 and checked me again and I was um, still four centimetres and um, the baby's heart rate was going up a bit and... The doctors were starting to had said that we might have to look at having a cesarean because um, just because it was a more challenging birth and the baby wasn't was in a little bit of distress possibly. Mm-hmm. Um, and then one, so the doctors started talking about booking a cesarean. One of the midwives just piped up and said, "Well, what if we do the epidural now, and then it might bring down the heart rate and um, if." If it doesn't, heart rate doesn't go down, you can do a, we'll have to do a cesarean. You need an epidural for that anyway, but it might, let's just give it a minute to see if that helps. Um, so I decided to go for the epidural, which I hadn't wanted at first, but, um, when it was looking like going down the road towards the cesarean and we had to get one anyway, I just, at that point I was sort of just going with whatever the doctor said. And to be, to be honest, once I decided to get it, I really wanted it that second. I was yeah. like, okay, we're getting it, get it, I want it now, because this pain is unbelievable. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then it, um, I had to wait another two hours until the anesthetist came. Um, so it was 10.30 at that time. So I'd been in labour since 1.30 the night before. So it was That's quite long. long. And... Yeah. I just, yeah, I, I was in a lot of pain and I just was worried about the baby with the heart rate going up. So I remember that Anita just gave me the epidural and before it had been in labour and had a baby, I was worried about an epidural because it's that big needle that they stick in your back. And I like when I heard about it at the antenatal classes, I remember just thinking, oh, I don't think I'd want that because... Um, one, we wanted a natural birth, but two, I don't, I'm not very good with needles. But in the moment, I was just like, yep, stick it in, go for it, <laughs> I don't care. Um, and um, to be honest, once I had it, it was pretty incredible how the pain just completely disappeared from the most intense intense pain to nothing. It was, I can see why women do it. <laughs> yeah. Um, and... So I had the epidural and then the doctor went home to bed because it was almost midnight and they thought they had a long time because I was only four centimetres and um, he went home to bed and then I closed my eyes for a few minutes, tried to rest and then the nurse came back to check me at 12.30 and she said, oh, you're fully dilated. So only half an hour after getting, the, or maybe an hour after getting the epidural, I was fully dilated and ready to push. Um, so they had checked you when they gave you the epidural and you were I think they checked it just a little bit before the epidural so maybe an hour before and so in maybe about two hours I'd I'd gone from four to ten yeah yes which is pretty amazing how you can feel like it's either going nowhere 
for hours and hours and hours, and then an hour or so later, I was ready to push. Mm-hmm. Um, so they called the doctor back. He was at home. And uh, I started pushing around 1 a.m., so I'd been away for 24 hours at that point. And um, the cesarean was still on the cards because of the... Um, if the if the second stage went too long, that could be a bit tricky with a with a um for each birth. Sorry. So we start. I started to push, and I I I kind of thought this part would be easy. I didn't think it would take that long. Mm-hmm. Um, but because I'd had the epidural, I couldn't really feel the contractions. So they had to tell me when a mum was coming, when I had to push, and it was very surreal. I was lying on the bed, my legs up in stirrups, like you see in the movies. Um, and pushing as hard as I could push and nothing was happening and the baby was very, very slowly moving but it felt like nothing was happening. Um, one of the incredible things was because she, the baby was breached, um, when she was still quite a fair way up inside me, um, the doctor said, oh, we can we can tell you the sex now. Well, before before the baby's born, we can just get, get a mirror and you can have a look and you can see. And we didn't know we were having a girl. I actually mm-hmm. thought we were having a boy. We both had the boy name picked. We had all these gender-neutral clothes and we both had a feeling that it would be a boy. Um, so it was so surreal to look with the mirror and see girl, girl parts before the baby was even born. Yeah. Um, for a few minutes, I actually thought it was a boy because of all the hormones and the pushing. She was quite swollen down there, and it looked like mm. little testicles. But um, no, yeah. So we we knew for about two hours before she was born that she was a girl because um, we could see. She's pretty surreal. Um, and the pushing stage went. Well, I ended up pushing for four hours before she was born, and um, because. The baby was breached. They had um, a pediatrician come in to be there for when the baby was born, and they had the obstetrician in there too, and they had um, two midwives, I think, at that point. And there was a whole crowd of people in the room, and um, it was uh, just not really happening that quickly. Um, I think uh, the doctor, after about two hours, the doctor suggested doing an episiotomy because um, he would need to possibly manipulate the baby during the birth process. Yeah. Um, with a with a normal birth, the baby sort of just, the head comes out and the whole body just blithers out. But with a breech birth, because the head is born last, um, sometimes the doctor might need to help with delivering the limbs. And so I, um, he gave me an episiotomy. Um, when the baby started to come down and the bottom came out naturally by by itself and then got a bit stuck and he had to really reach in and and I just remember looking at his face and to my mind he looked panicked he didn't look Mm -hmm. calm and that moment for me was where I started to I I just remember having this really clear thought I've killed my baby because I've made the wrong choice um and it just felt really tense in the room at this point because the labor, the second stage had been so long. Um, uh, normally they don't allow breech birth to go that long in the second stage. And 
Um, he was, yes, great. He, I remember he just grabbed at her legs and yanked them down and pulled that, pulled that out. And the head was still a bit stuck at this point. And I had to wait for the next contraction and that whole, like, there's only two minutes or something. <laughs> but I just remember just, I just felt so scared that something was really wrong. And he looked not that calm and the pediatrician was like hovering right there. And I, it was a really scary moment in that. I thought I'd made the wrong decision that, that my baby was going to die. Um, mm. obviously, obviously, she's totally fine now. <laughs> I know that. But um, when the next contraction came, um, he was grabbing, he had to grab her arms and pull them down because her arms were up above her head. So as well as delivering the head, which is larger than the rest of the body, the arms were stuck up there too. Um, so he, I remember he just, reached in and like yanked both her arms down and kind of pulled her out and um we before we'd given birth we had a whole list of things we wanted we wanted the delayed cord clamping and my husband to cut the cord and for her to be on straight skin to skin and when when actually in that moment I just didn't care about anything I just wanted her to be okay okay and for them to do whatever they needed to do and um they did actually put her up. They put her up on my chest straight away, and um, Chris cut the cord. Not delayed. They just said, "Quick, cut it now." But um, the, I could still see that they were worried. And the pediatrician, as soon as she was delivered, the pediatrician was saying, "Give it to me, give it to me." And I was, mm-hmm. I, I didn't really. I just was saying, "Quick, take her, take her," because she, I don't. She hadn't cried, and I don't know um, how well she was going at that point. Yeah. So they. Um, Yes, they they raced her over to the table and and suctioned her, um, suctioned some stuff out of her mouth, and then she was totally fine. She started to scream. The colour came, and um, but Afghan schools when they get were completely fine. So we were, it was, um, completely fine in the end. But I just remember, I still remember that moment. But it was only a few minutes where, but I really thought something was terribly wrong, and it really affected me. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't know if I, I don't think my mum my mum was there for the birth too, and she um, felt the tension in the room, and she thought the doctor was very worried as well. So I don't think it was just me feeling that. I think it could have been a dicey situation, and was very lucky in the end, and she was totally fine. Yes, he said some breech birds, they, they don't have to do much manipulating at all. They do kind of just come out, but she had to be pulled out. And um, they, in doing that, um, they found out she had hip dysplasia, which they might not have found out if they hadn't have had to really manipulate her out. Um, mm-hmm. It's Yeah, so hip dysplasia is something that a lot of breech babies can have because their hips don't develop properly because they're upside down in the uterus. And so within, he, as he pulled her out, he actually felt her hip click. Um, so we were lucky in that they found out straight from birth and they had her in a harness within an hour of her being born. Um, so she, she wore a harness for the first three months of her life, which helped her hips to um, develop in the right way. And I, Yeah, I can imagine that them um, finding that out as soon as possible would be hugely beneficial, sort of. Yeah, well, some babies that find out later 
mm. have to wear the harness for six months to a year, and they're older babies that would otherwise be crawling or walking. So, and they usually lead to more um, for surgery as well. So, by finding out at birth and from wearing the harness at birth, that was all we had to do. And she wasn't at a stage where she was rolling or doing anything anyway. So, we were really, really lucky in that regard. So, we found out we were pregnant with my son. Um, when my daughter turned one, not long after she turned one, and it was a complete surprise. We hadn't, we'd always wanted two children, but we hadn't planned to do them that close. Mm. Um, he, and because it was taken so long to fall with my daughter, we just didn't think it would be that easy. And I hadn't had my period back, so anyway, <laughs> you can fall <laughs> pregnant when you're breastfeeding, <laughs> and we did, and um, as when I started to get closer to being due, I um, decided to see a counsellor because I felt I had a lot of fear left over after Ember's birth and um, I just wanted to work through that um, before I went into labour and had another baby. And I'm really glad I did that because I really got to work through a lot of um, the birth and, and, and a lot of emotions that came up from it. And I think as a result of, I don't know if it's because of as a result, but after Ember was born, I had some postnatal um, depression and I just wanted to do everything I could to be strong for the second birth because Ember was a toddler now. I just didn't want to, I wanted to do everything I could to, to avoid a second round of postnatal depression. Yeah. And... Um, Anyway, so when I went into labour with my son, he was he was facing the right way up the whole way through. There was no worry about him being breached, which was a huge relief. And we were able to um, have the birth at Byron Hospital, um, which is where I'd been for all of my antenatal checks. He was also 11 days overdue, which is what Ember was. So mm-hmm. I had to wait a little while. <laughs> and when I went into labour... Um, I went into labour really early in the morning and um, the second time around I wanted some more skills. The first time I used a lot of visualisation and, and breathing and and um, it was good but it didn't feel like enough for me. I wanted to learn some more skills and I read this, read this book called Birth Skills which was I found fantastic and it was just really practical things I could do and they were physical things like stomping was the best one I used. It's basically all I did when a contraction came on would stomp would be to stomp my feet on the, as hard as I could on the ground and stare at this one spot and just count. And I did that every contraction and it really just having something physical to do that wasn't just breathing or visualizing really helped. Yeah. So I stayed at home all day and I had Ember with me and my mum with me and Chris was at work and because Ember's birth was quite long I thought I had long, long time, so don't come home from work, I said to my husband. Um, so I laboured at home all day. My husband came home and I felt really good. I'd, I'd been worried because I'd had the epidural the first time. I, I worried. Part of me felt like I'd failed and that I couldn't deliver naturally, that I wasn't strong enough. And um, just that, I, I, yeah, I think I'd carried that with me then because I'd had the epidural, that I just wasn't strong enough to, as a woman or something, I had that fear. Um, but because I had was doing more physical things, I felt more in control this time. 
But I still thought I was in very early labor. And I just, it was kind of surreal. I remember putting my daughter to bed that night at 7 o'clock. So I'd been in, in labor about 12 hours at this point. And it was still quite manageable. I um, was still able to play with her all day. And just as I was putting her to bed and I was rocking her in my arms, I remember having a really big contraction. And I remember kind of dumping her in the cot and running out of the room. And from that moment on, I called the midwife like 15 minutes later. And she said, yep, that normally happens with the second birth, that your body kind of holds off when the child." when you, your child's around and often as soon as the child like goes to a grandparent or goes to bed the labor will increase which I didn't know about and, I hadn't um, heard of that I know body's incredible it's really incredible yeah. so from right up to 12 hours my labor was really manageable and I thought I was in pre-labor because I was doing so fine and then within half an hour of putting her to bed it really amped up and I was getting ready to go to the hospital um, not long after she'd been in bed, which was pretty incredible. Yeah, um, perfect timing. It was. Yeah. And I'd never had a night away from her before, so I was worried. I was quite anxious about how that would go. So it was, it was wonderful that I was able to put her to bed and then leave after, um, leave her in bed with my mother-in-law watching her. And, um, yeah, we... I kept holding off. I kept saying, Mum, my mum kept saying, I think we should go to the hospital. And I was saying, I've got hours to go. I'm, I'm still coping fine, so it's, I'm not really in labour. I didn't really believe it, I think. And then um, we spoke to the midwife on the phone, and the midwife heard my cries and or my moans, and she said, I think you need to come in now. <laughs> so we raced to the hospital, and um, I just remember being on all fours. I didn't have the seatbelt on. I was in the front seat, leaning over the back seat, and vomiting was starting again and I wanted to try the, the um, water birth again because I just thought it's a different labour, I'll try it again. So they got the bath running as soon as I got there and I hopped in and the same thing, I hated it. I didn't like it at all. I couldn't do my stomping which had been helping me so much through the labour. So I got out very quickly and <laughs> didn't work for me the second time. Um, and not long after that, I just said, I have to go to the toilet. And I went into the bathroom, and before I knew what I was on all fours in the shower um, and started pushing. And he was born very quickly after that. Um, I hadn't had any pain medication. It felt completely different. It, I, it was such a surreal feeling to to deliver um without the epidural I could feel everything as he as he as he came down the burden canal and, and out and that feeling was just indescribable of when he came out and just um yes, it's, it was such a different experience. It was incredible. Um I do remember the cord was very short with with here with Otis, so when he was born and they, they went, I was in the shower on the, on the floor and they asked me to pick him, I picked him up and um, they said, okay, carry him over to the bed now, we'll deliver your placenta on the bed. And I, could, I couldn't lift him out very far because he was so, um, the cord was so short. So I kind of was holding him like right down near my vagina because I couldn't lift him out any further and I was like hobbling over to the, <laughs> over to the bed, hobbling over to the bed. It was so strange. <laughs> 
Yeah, and everything um, went really... It was just such a different experience. They never... Because it was a normal birth and there was no need for medical intervention, they didn't even check how far dilated I was at any stage. Mm. They just sort of let me go with it. And it was really powerful for me to have that experience after um, my birth with Ember. I, yeah. I'm so glad I had that. Um, it felt really healing as well. And I kind of let go of a lot of those feelings that I'd failed for Ember's birth. And I didn't fail. I, I had even I had an epidural, but I had a I had a beautiful baby girl. And no matter how what path I went down to have her, I yeah I was I'm a powerful woman, and I really really felt that you know this is birth, and and it was a wonderful experience to have. Yeah, and it's it's so indicative just of the variation that there is in birth and the different feelings that you can have afterwards and I'm I'm just so glad that you got to have that experience and sort of reclaim that part of yourself back that yeah as you said you are a powerful woman and but that you could really feel that that's that's so wonderful mm. and I, I hope that every woman feels that after birth but I know I that they too. don't I know yeah. Yeah. and I've, yeah, I've had two different births where I felt two very different things yeah and um it just does go to show that every birth is very different for every woman and, and I, I, yeah, I just, I, I would hope that if other women are listening that they would sort of get from my births that if you have to go down a path you don't want, it doesn't mean you failed and it doesn't mean you're not strong or that your body, I don't know, just, uh, I'm not really explaining myself very well. <laughs> No, you are, you are, absolutely, and there's, you know, we all do incredible things to get our babies and it's basically out and born. Thank you so much, Kyra, for sharing your story. It's so great to get a vaginal breech birth story out there and just to capture your feelings around that and how you felt really healed by your son's birth and... The different support that you received is so important too. So thank you so much for sharing. Yeah, thank that. you for listening, Georgie. My pleasure. Thank you so much for listening to Kara's story and being here. This is the Birth Library and you can follow along on both Instagram and Facebook. And if you yourself have a birth story that you'd like to share please do get in touch because I would love to hear from you.